Hi, I'm Sarah. I have an awesome husband and three amazing stepdaughters. Marriage and parenting is already a juggling act, and blended family relationships are even more messy and fragile. We won't always get it right the first time, but if you're looking for encouragement, you're in the right place. Thanks for joining us as we grow closer as step families. Welcome to His Kids, Her Kids, Episode 8, Moms and Stepmoms, From a Wedge to a Bridge, Part 1, an interview with Stephanie McHenry. When my husband and I first started producing His Kids, Her Kids, I sat down and I made a list of all the people that I knew that I wanted to have as guest speakers, people like Bobby Bones and Brene Brown, and today's guest, Stephanie McHenry. I first met Stephanie about 11 years ago when I started a new hobby as a competitive West Coast swing dancer. Stephanie would be working at the events as a competitor at the highest level, a judge, and a workshop instructor. She graciously included me into her social media circle where I observed her transition to single motherhood. Long before I ever saw myself as a potential member of a blended family, I admired Stephanie's attitude and commitment to her daughter, and I am thrilled to introduce you to her today. Wow, Sarah, I'm already crying. We're off to a great start. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. I can't tell you how excited I am about this interview. So, when I first met you, tell us a little bit about what was going on for you at that time. That was... 2009. My daughter was about 18 months old. I was in Pittsburgh, where I was not born and raised. I was born and raised in the Bay Area in California, where my family was, where my career was. And I had packed up and followed my then husband, Aaron, to Pittsburgh, where his career took him and had a little girl named Hazel. It was just amazing in so many ways. We'll need another show just to scratch that surface. She was 18 months old, and it was me and her against the world. My ex-husband was working a lot, had to. He was tenure track at a university. And it was it was really just me and her. And I was struggling. I was in a marriage, not knowing if it was right or not, but trying. And putting on a happy face when I would come and see special people like you at dance events and so grateful for all those experiences and outlets that I got to have in my life. I'm sure that made things last even longer at home. At that time in my life, I did not yet know that a year later I was going to be getting a divorce that I was going to be in a hell I never could have anticipated. And none of us ever do. None of us get married with the intent of thinking that they're going to get divorced. That the person who they trust and the person they think they are is going to turn out to be much more complicated than they anticipated. I didn't know that a year later I was going to be telling my not three-year-old daughter that mommy and daddy don't get along anymore. 
that mommy and daddy need to sleep in different bedrooms. Just like sometimes, as much as you try to be friends with all the people at school, some of them you just can't get along well. And you just need some space. And uh, 11 years ago, I didn't know that a year later I was going to go through the most common and easy to underestimate because it's common traumatic experience of my life and so far my daughter's life. And if you had told me 11 years ago that 11 years later I would be in this miraculously blended healthy family, I wouldn't have believed you about that either. 11 years ago it was complicated. Ten years ago, it was divided and toxic. And we hurt each other in ways that neither of us could have ever anticipated. You know when you're happily married, like you are, Sarah, you know, it's complicated. And it always is different on the inside than the outside. But, you know, it's basically good. And you're in it together. You're each other's clan. And you have these pillow talk musings at night and you say, oh, so-and-so is getting a divorce. Isn't that heartbreaking? And it's so ugly. That's just terrible. You and I will never get a divorce, but if we did, we would never treat each other that way. Not us, not ever. And it turns out you don't know what you or your partner are actually going to be like until you're in it. It's hard to know how you're going to behave until you're in that pain and responding to that pain. So I share all this not because I want to break the first golden cardinal rule of blended families, which is never bash your ex, but specifically almost her credibility. Because when people see our family and how miraculously blended and supported and harmonious it is, they say, you're special. It just worked out. You were amicable. Ours can never be like that. Ours wasn't like that. And that could be true. But it was not easy. It took a lot of sacrifice and a lot of humble pie to be able to get to where we are today when when you had those conversations with Hazel and in the beginning stages of the divorce and as you're deciding to divorce, what was the number one fear or concern that you had? Uh, fear was not a scarcity. The most immediate ones that come to mind are that she would grow up not in a secure family environment. I had had so many therapists, psychologists in my family and I was the child of divorce myself, I knew very well that there were some very serious consequences for children growing up in a not secure environment, where security is defined as, I know that love and safety is available consistently. I was scared Hazel wouldn't have that. I was very cocky and thought, I can at least give it to her. I will be this perfect mother. 
So that was number one, that Hazelwood see a lot of the painful behavioral consequences of growing up in a not secure family environment. The big one was always about Hazel and making sure she had what she needed. But there were others like, I had a dream that if I could just survive this darn divorce and reinvent myself, career, city, single mom, I could buy my own little Hazel Stephanie cottage and pump it full of estrogen and have this safe space, this sanctuary that's just ours where I could keep all the threats out, all the pain, all the things I was afraid of, and I could at least control what happens in my family in this space. I could give my daughter love and safety and security, and I wouldn't be able to control what would happen outside of that, but I could at least I could at least give her that. Also, some less healthy fears, more pain-driven fears like fear that whoever Aaron ended up marrying was going to suck and I would have to pick up the pieces when Hazel came home each week or that it was going to be subversive and every good thing that I was trying to do for her was going to get derailed by the other household. And then even darker stuff like afraid of being replaced, afraid of being displaced as Hazel's mother and source of love and security. There is, um, I know now, now that even though it's good to want to be a source of love and safety for my kid, there was some vanity in it. I wanted to redeem myself by being this perfect mother. And that became very complicated and made things harder later. And that means that I needed to keep learning and growing myself with my daughter and with my ex-husband and his wife to be able to get to that secure environment that I wanted more than those other things that I wanted. So you're plowing forward with divorce, you're talking to Hazel, you're facing your fears. What happened next? Not a miraculous blended family. We did not bypass all the work. We did not jump to that outcome. We did not set out to climb a mountain and start at the summit. We continued to hurt each other for a while. Not always on purpose, I think, we, and most people, have the best of intentions. We want to do good. We want to do good by our people, our children. We want to see ourselves as the good guys. And sometimes we were able to do that. And other times we were still on our own personal journey, navigating our pain and our fear and putting together and sometimes defending our narrative about what happened and who we are and who the other person is. And in the middle of all that, in comes Anna. Anna was on the scene a few months after Aaron and I separated. 
And keep in mind, one of the ways that we hurt each other directly and inadvertently was by starting to date very quickly. So I was also dating, but I remember watching Aaron date Anna. And you got to remember, like, we're people who like the idea of this idyllic state. We wanted to have that atypical divorce story where we all got along and we weren't hurt. We were above it all. And we kept talking like that was true. And sometimes it felt true. So Anna walked in in the middle of all of that. And so a big part of me wanted to like her. And I knew that if she held any other role in my life, if this was any other context, I would recognize how awesome she was. But she wasn't in any other context. She was dating my ex-husband while I was still navigating the hurt and the disappointment with him. And that brought up all sorts of obstacles that needed to be overcome to get to this miraculous blended family state that we're in today. There were a lot of challenges. For starters, I saw her as a wedge. I heard once from a therapist, and this isn't fair, but I heard it and I hooked my teeth into it figuratively. Women mourn, men replace. And the intent of that statement that she had you know, dangling in my head was women take their time before setting up their lives again, putting the pieces back together. They don't rush into marriage. They statistically don't marry as quickly as men. And I saw Anna as symptomatic of my ex-husband falling in line with that overly simplified, unfair saying that he was just replacing me and putting his life back together. He found the same house on a different street. He found someone who I thought was a lot like me. He had Hazel. Within months, my world was turned upside down and unrecognizable. And he seemed to have put everything back together with only slight variations. So it wasn't about her. It was about how quickly he had moved on and how replaceable I was. It was also really hard because he didn't seem to be suffering as much as I was. So here's that's part of the dark part, right? The vindictive stuff. I had no family in Pittsburgh. I was a dancer and I knew... If I knew if I got hurt, I wouldn't be able to feed my kid. One broken ankle and you cancel six months of gigs and you can't teach, you can't dance, you can't compete for prize money. And that wasn't smart. That wasn't secure. That wasn't safe. And I wanted to come out of this divorce strong. I didn't want to take my time healing. I wanted to... Later, I, I realized, put together my pieces very quickly, just like my ex did. And, you know, I dropped everything. I said, okay, I'm going to go the other direction. I, I'm going to go get an MBA. I'm going to go learn technology. I'm going to do everything different from what I did before, which was an English major at Berkeley with a poetry concentration and a dancer and a mom. And there I was struggling. And... No income, taking out student loans, and a lot of good life lessons. 
you know, I know how to live off of a very large bag of crusties mix and how to feed the kid and, and go light when she's not around. So even though I was loving all the character building and the growth and proud of myself, I was still mad that my life seemed so much harder than his. And the other piece that made me so mad, which also made it hard to overcome my biases and fears and pain and get to a blended family, was I was a single parent. And he didn't seem to be. He didn't seem to have had a real taste of that experience because we lived together for eight, nine months, separated. And he started dating Anna halfway through that, and they basically moved in together relatively quickly after that. So I looked at Aaron, and and the story I told myself was he's never experienced being a single parent. I did it the whole marriage, which is, again, grandiose and unfair. And here I am doing it more literally and legally. And Anna swooped in and took away that validation just by being with him. So unfair to Anna. But again, that was more specifically how I saw her as a wedge and the biases that I had to overcome to be able to make space for a blended family to happen. So seeing her that way, how did that affect the way you approached her? What in your mind was your intent in terms of your relationship? How did you approach her? Almost two-faced. When I interacted with her, I knew she was a good person and that being with her made Aaron better. Who already a good person, but you know, she had this calming secure feeling effect on him. I hoped that everything that seemed to be there was real, but I didn't truly believe. I was very agnostic on the inside, but I would treat her with what I hope was nothing but respect and kindness and warmth But on the inside, I had doubts, hope and doubts. (sighs) I remember specific moments when that started to change, when it became more genuine. I remember Aaron talking to me about her and me being friendly and inquisitive and asking, how are things going? I'm so happy for you. Because remember, I wanted to be pain-free. I wanted to be that family that had totally gotten over it, so I was talking like we were. And it was only 60% true. And he said that they were talking about getting engaged. I am so proud of myself I didn't blink too hard or gulp too hard. But this is the part that really got me and that started to plant seeds in terms of me feeling more genuinely hopeful He said, Anna wanted to take her time. We're in no rush. And she went out on her own. And he said, what book are you reading? And she said, this is a book on step parenting. If you want to learn how to do something right, you go get a book and you start reading. And how touched he was by that. And frankly, how touched I was by that. Because what I 
heard in that was this possibility that she might want this too. A secure, loving environment for Hazel. Maybe we have some common ground there. Maybe we want the same good things for my daughter. And while that's percolating, Hazel's coming home every half week that she's with them and, you know, musing about all the sweet things that she's doing with Anna Banana and the fun things that they do and how she likes to tickle and do gymnastics and karate. And you can't get a better endorsement than your own kid. And it tugged on the parts of me, the best parts of me, that truly just want what's best for my kid. Not vengeance or validation or any of those false sense, false sources of security, but for my kid to be okay. And I started to use that in this continued propaganda, hey, we're all Team Hazel here. Aren't we? Aren't we? Aren't we? And they would say, yeah, (laughs) yeah, good way to put it. We're all Team Hazel. And somehow, instead of looking at her with scrutiny, I realized we were all looking at Hazel with hope. I stopped directing my energy on them, what they were or weren't doing, for the most part, and realized that we were all just there to be Team Hazel, and that comfort would sear deeper and deeper into my heart like a brand, experience by experience, building that trust. Some of my favorite examples of Anna, not through words, but just through actions, making it clear to me that I, it was justified to hope for a harmonious, secure family environment without contention or territory was the way she behaved when I came into her home to pick up Hazel. I would pick her up on Saturdays at 5.30, and you know, I hear the stories of other families where you wait out in the car, honk the horn, or knock on the door and walk back to the car, or wait on the stoop, or meet at a Sheets or a McDonald's parking lot as neutral territory. No, it was come to the house, come inside, sit down, Tell me about how life is going, how's work, how's the apartment, how's school. And as we lingered and got more comfortable just being normal with each other, I noticed more and more Hazelwoods make comments like, I love having my family together. I love having everyone in the same house. All my people are here. And... I remember thinking, oh, that's a tough expectation to live up to. What if we don't want to be together? What if things get awkward? But on the other hand, it, it was tolerable. In fact, it was even enjoyable and a breath. It was such a relief to not be nervous or on high alert every time we were around each other. Because we started to trust, you know, we're going to be around each other a lot. You know, this kid's got 15 more years till she hits 18. We're going to be around most of our, you know, 
20s, 30s, 40s adult lives. And Hazel seems to really enjoy the lack of contention. Hazel seems to really enjoy everyone just being okay. So she doesn't have to look over her shoulder when she's thinking that she's playing and everything's okay to see if everything's okay. I remember at that time a few other key things happened that made it easier to understand what the opportunity was in front of us to be able to really transform what it means to be okay as a family and secure as a family. And what made Anna so important in that role? (sighs) Two things were said to me. I remember my dad, who was also divorced and a child of divorce. My dad said to me, and forgive me, I'm going to get a little emotional recalling this, but my dad said, Stephanie, you have to learn to love him again. I was like, what do you mean? He hurt me so bad. I don't trust him with my heart. Why is that important? And he says, yeah, you actually got to genuinely love him. You don't have to let him in. You don't have to be his wife, but you do have to love him in sort of a, the way God loves all of his children and sees who they are on the inside kind of way. Because here's the thing, and this is the part that sends chills down my spine today. If you hate Aaron, Hazel will pick up on it and she will say to herself, huh, mom really seems to hate daddy. I wonder if she hates the part of me that is daddy. Still really hard to say those words, but that's when I realized in order to love my daughter completely, I had to forgive my ex-husband. I had to love him as best as I could, and it had to be genuine because, man, my kid is attuned. She knows way too much. This is the kid who would sit in the room completely, seemingly oblivious to the world playing, and we would be having this conversation, and 20 minutes later, she would say something that made it clear she heard every word and understood it. I have an emotional frog in my throat, forgive me. And we would say, Hazel, you heard that? And she would say, oh yes, I'm spy talking. Genius. Terrifying child. So that was one of two things that I remember experiencing at that time that changed things. Was hearing how I needed to forgive him and frankly forgive Anna for stepping into shoes that were just hard to fill with the expectations and prejudice that I had. The other thing that reset my perspective and changed what was possible for our entire family. My dad's best friend, also a veteran of divorce, three times divorced, 
before he passed, he told me, coached me through the divorce. That guy was really good at divorce. He knew what to do to do it fair and focused on the kids. And he said to me, Stephanie, you know, whoever he marries, you got to make her your best friend. And I laughed and I said, best friend, his wife, the woman who's going to replace me as a mother, half of Hazel's life, who's going to, you know, be half of Hazel's influence and be this wedge between me and my kid or my ability to, you know, protect my daughter. Like, no way. And he says, you have no other choice. This woman is going to be the key to co-parenting with your ex-husband because that is the woman he has chosen for his partner. And if you become a threatening influence in her life or a painful influence in her life, he will need to stick by her and you will be outnumbered two to one every time. Every discussion that you have for what's best for Hazel, you will be outvoted. And they won't trust you and they won't hear where you're coming from. And whatever you're good you're trying to do for her, you're less likely to get it to her. That's when I realized Anna wasn't a wedge. She was a good person in a tough spot, and I need to embrace that she was a bridge. I'm going to get emotional a lot through this. I'm going to try to spice in some flavor and fun in here, but really, this is 10 years coming out, so thanks for your patience. Um, I don't envy her and that role. I don't envy anybody in that role. The way that I wanted so much to like her and befriend her and ally myself with her and still had so much prejudice against her, even while trying so hard. I can't imagine how hard it must be for most step-parents. And that's a more preferred situation when somebody actually wants to make that connection, despite themselves. That might sound like a great place to end, but I can assure you that this story is just beginning. Be sure to tune in again for part two. Keep growing and take good care.